0: Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The Professional Parts People. Oh,
2: oh, oh, O'Reilly. Auto Parts.
0: You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.
3: You've been a fly fishing guide? Yeah, I was a fly fishing guide for seven long days. Which prompted the folks at Guinness to just dissolve the title of World's
1: Shortest River entirely, because really, who gives a? F-? We wonder aloud if that's pepper spray, a taser, or a Glock on his side belt.
4: And I was just like, this deck is f***ed. It sounds and feels like I am walking on saltine crackers right now. <laughs> Good morning, degenerate anglers and welcome to Bent the Fishing Podcast that kindly asks you to remove any e-cigarettes or lithium batteries from that carry-on bag of bad juju you're trying to bring aboard our flight to guaranteed slayfestville. I'm Joe surmelli
2: <laughs> I'm I'm Miles Nolte, <laughs> and uh while well, I'm I'm not entirely sure where you're going, that was pretty good. I don't, I liked all oh. of that and props to you, sir, <laughs> for putting it together. Yeah, th-
4: thanks man. I appreciate that very much. Uh here's where I'm going. Without thinking about it too long, name the first person that comes to mind that's guaranteed to turn what by all counts should be like a really good day of fishing into an absolute suck fest with nothing more than his or her
2: presence. Oh, that's easy. That that would be me. <laughs> this guy right here. Yep. Yep.
4: Uh, you know, come to think about it, I can kind of attest to that a little bit. <laughs> I know you now, can. That, uh, you, you caught me off guard, but I can kind of attest. <laughs> Uh, okay, all right. So it's it's you. That's <laughs> it's me. unexpected, it's me. but fair. Next question, then: Do you have a slang term for people like yourself, like these dark clouds of vibe crushing and mojo killing?
2: Oh, uh, my my super ego. I don't know. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't, I think I see where this is going now, and and I, I I'm with you. I want to have this east versus west semantic slang discussion about you know this topic, but. I, don't, I actually don't have a word for that. I don't, I don't know right. that we have such a word out here. So I'm, I'm just going to tee you up and say, what do you call them, Joe? Goochers. My Goochers. preferred
4: term. Yes. My preferred term for those people that just seem to drain the life out of any water or like they conjure wind and rain and hail when none of that was mm. forecast. Yep. Those are goochers, right? And I did not invent the term. I actually heard it on a party boat years ago, and believe it or not, it has an interesting origin that fits bent to a T. It just it's just it's so bent. But I'm going to save that for today's weekly word segment, right? But I do think it's important to point out that while it might be easy to say, well, well, stop fishing with these people. Stop fishing with Miles if he's do a goocher, right? Don't do that. It, you're not bad folks. No. Right, like all, or at least most of the Goochers I know are people that I enjoy. Like I, I want to fish with them. I want them to hook up and have a great day. But despite me saying, "Well, this time will be different. This can't possibly last forever." Like that <laughs> funk can be strong enough that there's just no breaking out of it, man.
2: You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the Gucci thing and give my thoughts. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it. I don't want to get ahead of the weekly word. Uh, but I am excited for that because. I know exactly what it makes me think of, but anyway, the, your point. Can I just say that it sucks being a goocher? <laughs> Can I just say, like, I, just, yeah, it sucks. Just, yeah, just by virtue of the fact that I've fished so much in my life, I have had many, many incredible days. But it's pretty safe to assume that if I'm booked on a fishing trip, even to good odds that the conditions are going to be tough. It's not going to be the optimal conditions. Like I I said, I can attest to that. I know. I know. And that was (laughs) bad, but I've got many other stories like that. Perhaps the worst one. I once got the trip of a lifetime to fish Cuba. Yeah. Like Cuba. Yeah. and Dream trip. Yeah. The day I arrived, the weather turned so bad that our entire group only got to fish one day. Oh. Out of the four we had planned. Ah. Because like it was so bad we couldn't even launch the skiffs. It was so bad. For for most of the time we were there. Yeah. So we ended up spending most of the trip drinking Herculean quantities of beer and rum because
4: Yeah, what else are you gonna do?
2: Yeah. <laughs> and we're not even like mainland Cuba. We're on the small island off the mainland of Cuba. So there's there's really not much to do besides fish and drink. I, I had a blast, but I went there to catch stupid tarpon, not Get sure. sloppy on a beach, right? yeah, and and I shouldn't complain. This is the definition of a first world problem. I know, but the worst part about being a goocher is exactly what you're talking about. People are afraid to invite you on fishing. Like I'm yep. afraid, I should say that people won't invite me on fishing trips. Not because yep. they don't like me, but because I'm a bad omen, right? Like that's my fear. Like I, I'm like, wow, Joe's not going to invite me back now because he thinks I'm a goocher. That there goes my invite. Anyway, well, I just, I'm assuming. just add, the,
4: the, 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 th- the thing is, right, with, with Guchers, It's you're not a goocher if the bad luck only extends to yourself. Like, everyone else is whacking them and you're not. A goocher brings down the whole tribe, man. That's the
2: problem. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know. But enough about me. I'm assuming that you have a favorite goocher that runs oh. in your circles.
4: I do. I absolutely do. And uh, he's my dad. <laughs> and he listens to all these shows. So I will hear about this, but even he won't deny it. Like, if he were joining us as a guest right now, he'd be like, yeah, he's not lying. Like, I, yeah. you know, I dude, I could hammer fish on Tuesday and have identical conditions Wednesday. Get him out there, and we won't touch a fish. Or we'll, we'll just get one where I got 100, like, at the zero hour, like, just right. before dark. Like, oh, there's your one. And it's maddening. And this has been like this for years, right? And he's the worst— Because he's a freaking multi-species goocher. It doesn't matter what you're fishing for, he will shut it down, right? And Because I would actually say, I'm curious if you agree, it's more common to be a species-specific goocher. Like, frankly, first of all, we all have a little goocher in us from time to time, right? But I consider myself like a full-time musky goocher.
1: Hundred yeah, percent, no
4: question. Right? I, I, it doesn't matter how good the, the fellows were doing last week. I will shut it off. Okay. Um, and I even once had a buddy. Note I said once because we're, we're really not boys anymore. <laughs> that I accused of being a tuna goocher <laughs> while seventy miles offshore, and he was so offended and adamant that he was not the gooch that he he kind of stopped talking to me. Anyway, really? So, look, yeah, and 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 so you'll hear more about my dad's goochness in that aforementioned weekly word segment. I'm not done with him yet.
2: Just, yeah. So, so he
4: knows, Dad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that for the back stepping back though, that former buddy of yours needs to have thicker skin. Oh, totally. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. The best, the the real goochers, the good Gucciers, we own. Yeah. Our goochiness. Yeah. Like, like your dad. Yeah. Like myself. And speaking of your father, I'll bring it back to that. I, I do have a little advice for him. My advice to him is to arm himself with a selection of lures from our good friends at 13 Fishing. I personally suggest My Name's Jeff, which comes with a proprietary anti-gooch force field cooked right into the plastic.
4: Yeah, so now now he's going to call me and be like, give me some of them Jeffs that Miles was talking about. (laughs) Like I have to be the supplier. He's not going to go out and look for that. Uh, But anyway, that's a terrific suggestion. And the actual name of these four-inch floating swim baits, right, is My Name's Jeff. They named the damn lure, My Name's Jeff, and we love that. We've said how much we love their names. I also really like the lure because they they got a hollow belly. There's like a little air trapped in there. Mm -hmm. So they fall a little slower on a jig head, rise a little higher on drop shot. Keep that in mind. It's good stuff all around. like it.
2: It's great stuff. And here's some more great stuff. We are going to move into Smooth Moves. And joining us today is our good friend and very accomplished photographer, Brian Gregson. Now, this was recorded, I believe, while you guys were in Ohio shooting DOS
4: Boat? That's correct. The DOS Boat Sessions. Yes. Yep.
2: Yep. And this is, I think, almost certainly the shortest smooth move we've ever had, (laughs) mostly because Brian (laughs) prefers, he likes to be behind the scenes. Yeah. He wants to be behind the camera. He, He makes the media. He doesn't like doing it. He hates being on podcasts. And he nearly stopped being my friend when I wrote a short film about him some years ago, which is a good film. You should check it out. Anyway, he got over that. And he'll get over being on our podcast because we needed him. (laughs) Yes, His story fits our theme this week. And I'm going to call it like a cautionary tale for all us goochers out there. The first step toward turning your luck around might be admitting that you are bad luck. You got to be self-aware and maybe a little more in tune with your environment, which the subject of this story really doesn't seem to be
0: why did you do
1: that why why did you do do that Terry? oh my
4: god sitting down today in the great state of ohio on the it's not really a set of DOS boat is it
3: i I guess it could be a set
4: yeah but i'm sitting here with uh, my buddy brian gregson and there's there's so many things you do i don't even know how to set you up like you're a badass photographer right I, I, yes, I shoot photos. Every, every, yeah, you have one of those Kodak <laughs> disposable cameras, right? Yes. Yeah, yep. Uh, you've worked on a commercial tuna boat.
3: You've been a yeah. fly fishing guide. Yeah, I was uh, a fly fishing guide for seven long days. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, though,
4: like, you've done all the things that everybody wants to do. Like, So I'm, like, I'm, I'm very jealous of the things. You, I feel like when I talk to you, I'm like, I've done nothing with my life. You've been everywhere and done everything.
3: I've done. A lot, I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of things, but yeah. I think that uh, you have to give up a lot of things too. I also
4: heard that you don't really
3: love being on podcasts. Is that accurate? Yeah, you know, I work
4: better <laughs> behind the scenes. Um,
3: I feel more comfortable with a camera in my hand, looking through a viewfinder, than I do uh, in front of a camera.
4: Okay, well, fair. but so that that noted, I appreciate you doing Bend. I appreciate <laughs> this. Is this is I'm I'm proud because people have like tried to get you, and you're just like nah, nah, right.
3: Right, yeah. I had one one friend talk me into it, and I had, there was no way out of it. I was cornered into it, and I did it. But, well,
4: I mean, we're, we're staying absolutely. in the same place for so five days. The same so, like, you can't say no, because every day I'll just be like, you're coming upstairs and sitting down, and <laughs> yep. we're doing this. Um, but you you know what Smooth Moves is all about, right? Yeah. So because of all the different things you've done, this Smooth Move could come from any aspect of all these cool things you've done with your life. So I'm very excited, because I have no idea what you're bringing to the table, right? So yeah.
3: the floor is yours, man. Hit me with a smooth move. Well, you know, over the years, you see a lot of smooth moves. I'm fortunate enough to spend my time with a lot of anglers and guides all over the world. Yeah. And you hear all the smooth moves. Right. Um, and one that kind of stands out. So this didn't happen to you? This is No. A smooth, oh, that's, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. Um, you can roll with it. And I, I'd hate to throw anybody I know under the bus. Um, one of my favorite parts of your podcast is a smooth move. So right. I'm always cringing. I'm like, oh man, I hope I'm not that person that happened to me and I've never wind up on here.
4: <laughs> so you're going to go this route and you're going to tell a smooth move about something that happened to somebody else. Yeah. Okay. Um,
3: but it was it was a good friend of mine, the guy in the Caribbean, and had a new angler in his boat and his first time to Belize. Mm-hmm. Very excited. Very smart person on paper. <laughs> um, and he noted the water qu- And he's like, wow, this is the most beautiful water I've ever seen in my life. And it is. It's unbelievable turquoise turquoise green. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy's like, hey, you should take some home with you. So he's like, oh, man, that's a great idea. I emptied his water bottle and filled it up. I might have happened to maybe or may not have been on the boat screwed the cap on and he went to look at it and it was at that moment. I think he was just so overwhelmed he didn't even think about it because he looked up at it and was like, that's just the color of water. (laughs) (laughs) What gives it the color is the bottom, right? (laughs) But, you know, first timer, smart guy on paper, but maybe not so. uh...
4: The clincher there is just, I'm sure it was suggested in that perfect, like, nonchalant. Yeah, and you have to, take some home.
3: It's like, yeah. Well, of course, yeah, it would be sweet,
4: you know? <laughs> <laughs> and just expected to have a bottle of turquoise on the shelf. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but nobody else has one. <laughs> <laughs> what you said about being in tune with your environment is, is accurate. Because often, okay, but not always, I find that a Gucci, like, they have the desire right? They have the moxie. They want Mm -hmm. the fish, but they're just like a step or two behind in the big picture of angling, right? uh, Here's an example. Here's an example, right? Like, I once jumped on a boat uh, with a guy I never met. I I knew most of the people, but there was one outlier I never met. And as we're breaking the inlet at two o'clock in the morning, the dude's like, we never catch tuna when I'm on the boat. And because I believe in the power of the Gooch, I was like, God damn it. Like, I yep. don't want to be here now. And sure enough, we caught zip, right? Just blank. But while me and everyone else were, were like racking our brains, looking at color charts and changing lures and doing whatever we could to figure out how we can turn this around, how we can swing this around, like that dude was just in a beanbag chair. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he can cast in real, but he's not overly interested in, in the harder worker details. Though again, I, I not always because when I fish for muskies, right, which is rare, but when I'm doing it, I do it pretty hard and I still can't really catch them. So maybe what do I know?
2: You know? Yeah, no, see, this is a semantic argument. It's not my word, but I don't care. I'm going to argue it anyway. To me, that's not a goocher. Mm. That's, that's a disinterested angler. That's someone who lacks one of the primary qualities that you got to have to be good at and truly enjoy fishing. I reserve goocher for people like me who are yeah. inexplicably cursed with consistent bad luck. But I maybe I'm just being defensive, but that's how yeah. I define that term.
4: No, I mean, I, 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 just, I think it works both ways. Like, I know really devoted anglers that are just bad luck, but I also know a lot of people that are bad luck but also just don't try very hard either. Mm-hmm. Like, my dad comes to mind again here. Like, I'll put it this way. Like, they don't go out of their way to change their luck. They just resign to the suck and say, like, oh, well, this is always what happens when I'm here and just, like, leave it at that, you know?
2: Yeah, that's just that's just bringing negativity into it, man. Yeah. Like that's that's harshing my mellow. That's no, you don't. You can't do that. You can't give <laughs> up like that. Yeah. Anyway, we've all waited long enough to get the origin story of goocher I know, I know where I hope this thing is going, but I'm actually unsure where this term came from. So please, the floor is yours. Let's get on with that weekly word.
3: Webster's dictionary defines fish as.
4: The gooch. Most of you know. It's a slang term for a specific male body part located between two other male body parts. And this also explains why several of the Urban Dictionary definitions of the word goocher wouldn't be anything you'd want to repeat at the church picnic there, guy. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, I'm thrilled to announce that goocher, as I've been using it to describe a person with the Magical ability to curse a fishing day has nothing to do with body parts or deviant acts. Its origin comes from the classic 1986 film Stand By Me. If you are unfamiliar with Stand By Me, well, shame right the hell on you. You need to get familiar ASAP. It was written by Stephen King and set in 1960, and it follows a group of young friends on a coming-of-age journey to find the body of a missing boy. That group of friends is played by 80s greats like Corey Feldman, Will Wheaton, Jerry O'Connell, and the late River Phoenix. The antagonist, none other than Kiefer Sutherland, as the thug Ace Merrill. The entire thing is narrated by Richard Dreyfuss, and it was Stand By Me that introduced the world to the concept of mailbox baseball. In a scene that slips by most viewers— The boys are trying to decide which of them will have to go to the store to buy provisions for their upcoming hike to find that dead body. To decide, they all flip a coin. The outcome of that flip is four tails, or what Vern, the chubby member of the group played by Jerry O'Connell, refers to as a goocher. It turns out that the opposite, all heads in the toss of multiple coins, is called a moon, and it's a sign of good luck and good things to come. A goocher, of course, is a sign of pending bad luck and doom, making it perfectly foreboding in the movie because the kid's pilgrimage is pretty rife with struggle. Per the internet, there is no history of the terms moon or goocher as signs of good or bad luck anywhere outside Stephen King's book and the later movie, suggesting that King either coined the term himself or maybe it was something he and his buddies used when they were kids. My dad is both a huge Stephen King fan and, as I said earlier, a huge goocher. And so is his buddy Mike, who he's known since college. Mike's inability to catch fish is semi-legendary, and I've been hearing stories about it since I was 10 years old, which is right around when Mike and my dad first started taking me shad fishing. As it naturally happens nowadays, I'm the one taking my dad shad fishing, and nine times out of ten, because he's just like a gooch Rex, the fishing is extremely tough. Mike is such a gooch that he couldn't even get on my boat, let alone catch anything. Literally every single time I set a date to row Mike and my dad down the river, weather or high water or COVID or something forced us to cancel the trip. I'm not even kidding. This went on for three years. So finally, this past May, after rescheduling twice, I got Mike and my dad on my boat. It was a beautiful afternoon, though very late in the shad season. So late, in fact, that my expectations were about nil. But, much to my surprise, we positively whacked them. It was so good, I could only set two lines instead of four, because I just couldn't keep up. Those old-timers had the best day of fishing they've had in years, maybe decades. I mean, hell, they're still talking about it to this day. But I'm only left wondering... Have I figured out the secret formula? Does two Goochers equal one ringer? Does the bad luck become a force for good when they cross the streams, like in Ghostbusters? This is something you should probably ask me next Shad season, if I can get them out again.
2: Possibly, maybe, almost certainly, my favorite weekly word. Oh, excellent. Of all time. Good. (laughs) Yes. Cool. Yes. Yes, that movie was the only place I had heard the terms "Goocher" and Moon. And I'm so happy we got to talk about yet another Stephen King story on this show. Right. That's yeah, one yeah. of my favorite authors. But I was hoping, I really was. I'm a little disappointed because I was hoping you'd be able to provide the etymological history of those words. I, yeah, I was wanting that. I, I, I know,
4: and I was really hoping that too. And I tried, right? But yeah, no, I know. Like all know. signs point to it, just seems that that King seems to be the person who brought those into the common lexicon,
2: you know? Well, good for him. Yeah. Shakespeare did it. Chaucer did it. Stephen King did it. Good for him. There you go. (laughs) Adventure,
4: Stephen King.
2: (laughs) (laughs) In contrast to our previous conversation about a movie adaptation of of a King book, I actually love the film Stand By Me. I'm not going to say it's better than the book, but it's close. Now, having said that, I have a question for you. The story... Uh That "Stand by Me" was based on, titled "The Body," was published in a collection of four novellas called "Different Seasons." Three of those novellas went on to become movies. Can you name either of the other two without googling? Oof. I. So I'm I'm going to take a wild
4: stab and say that one was Shawshank, just because it's it's I know I know King wrote that. I it's non-horror. And it's set in the same time frame as Stand By Me, but I, the other was I Wouldn't Know.
2: 100% accurate. Well done. Yes. Shawshank. The, the, story, the story was called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. They shortened it. Ah. Um, and yeah, it's a great story. Another really excellent one in that collection. Another good reason to read it. The other two stories are Apt Pupil and The Breathing Method. Apt Pupil was also made a new movie, but it was not very good. So yeah, I you don't know, recommend I, that one.
4: I, I recognize the name. I don't think I saw it, though.
2: Don't, don't. That's <laughs> like read na- that's like Nazi stuff, right? Yeah, there's 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 a there's a Nazi Nazi twinge to it. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay, it's creepy. Okay. The the yeah. but the book was much better. And I, on that, different seasons is probably my favorite Stephen King book of all time. And if I could find a way to spin it as a fishing book, I would definitely make it. <laughs> I know a you, would. Philistine. <laughs> but the only <laughs> thing I could come up with is is that the bad guy's cover story that they're planning to tell the cops is that they were out steelhead fishing when they found the body, and I just don't think that's enough of a connective thread to make it work. Um, But I do hope that I can come up with some better connective threads to move between our stories in this week's Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly.
4: Okay, so in case you weren't paying attention to my and the meat eater social channels this week, episode one... Of DOS Boat Northeast, which would be DOS Boat Season 3, is now live, and guess who took over hosting duties this season? Miles, any thoughts on that?
2: I mean, who could it be? I can't imagine.
4: The The, the choices are endless. Is but it, the answer is it would, Phil? It's, <laughs> it's not Phil, although I would watch the shit out of that. <laughs> um, the answer would be me. I am oh. now the host of dos Boat. Yeah, so super pumped and honored to have Das Boat, which, of course, existed long before I got to Meat Eater, right? Honored to have that happening on my turf. And as we've hinted at on this show,
2: you're going to see a whole bunch of bent regulars in Das Boat this season. It's true. And let me just say, I am so happy that you wound up with the hosting duties. On it's cool, one, man. I spent, as you know, years of blood, sweat, and tears working on the show Helping yep. bring this thing into existence, writing it, producing it. And so to have you take over the helm, shall yes. we speak, of the host and dudes just makes me really happy. And you're not alone. Like you were saying, uh, our, our good buddy, Staten Island's native son, Frank Cresatelli, plays a major role. He's he's the boat fixer, I yep. think, is the way we, we, what you call it. Yeah, That's which is accurate. Which is accurate. Uh, and let me tell you, I don't think there's ever been a DOS boat In the history of DOS boats, that's required more work and effort than this one. (laughs) No, no. True facts.
4: True facts. (laughs) So this year, right, we're running a 19-foot 1973 Mako Center console. And while that's a classic, super classic Northeast boat, uh, it's also the kind of boat that guys want. They want these older boats to restore them and make them perfect again. Thing is, most of the time when you find them, like on a front lawn in Delaware, like where we found ours, she's got issues. Yeah. And and we weren't spared any of them. We were not spared any of the issues. I was there on the ground when we found it, and I was just like, this deck is f***ed. Like, it literally, it, sound, it sounds and feels like I am walking on saltine crackers right I Actually, now. you called
2: me in yeah, that I moment. Could, I was like dude, like, dude, I don't know. Dude, I don't know. I don't know if we can <laughs> fix that. Should we do
4: it? And it was insane, right? But also, <laughs> you have to consider finding a used boat right now on a tight budget. It's not super easy, okay? No. Like, it's. No. It, I think I actually think it's getting a little better. But going back to last spring, early last spring, there were not a lot of great used boat options. There were Plus, no boats. We had, we, yeah, and we had this tight budget. So Frank and I looked at this thing. and We just kind of said a prayer and and went for it. Gave the
2: man his money,
4: uh, but <laughs> damn it, we whipped her into shape. You we did. did.
2: Yeah, you did, and. And beyond that, I mean, beyond that whole origin story of the boat, uh, the saga oh. of this season mm. is is impressive. And so are the yep. results, right? The season kicks off with you chasing stripers with old cow, Cal, Ryan Calhand, before embarking on a 2,000-mile adventure around the right side of the country. Fisher caught. Uh, Oliver Nye gets on board at one point. Our buddy Jay Siemens. Makes an appearance. We even put Ross Robertson on the damn thing this year.
4: Yeah. Maybe <laughs> against our better judgment. We did that for some reason. I kid, I kid of course. We had a great time. Uh, who else? Blaine Chocolate gets yeah. in on the action. Yeah. Brian Drassi, Christine Fisher. And despite how exhausting, truly, this season was to put together, I had a lot of fun. And I really hope you guys... Follow along for the next six weeks on the YouTube's. There's going to be we got Sneckheads. we got cobias, mm-hmm. we got walleyes.
2: If you're into that, yeah. if you're into Meh. if you're
4: into the walleye thing, you know, <laughs> kidding. It's all good shit. It's it's it really came together well.
2: It is. It is. It's really good. Uh, but now let's get into the this newsy goodness that we got going on. As a reminder, this is a competition. Joe and I do not know which stories the other one is bringing to the table, and at the end of it. Our auditory Dalai Lama, Phil the Engineer, will find a state of grace and decide which one of us will attain enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And this week, you have the honor of starting us off. I hope I hope you brought some good stuff. I'm looking forward to it. What have you got? Maybe. I don't
4: know if it's good. I just don't know anymore. I just kind of never go know. for it. I never know anymore. Uh, anyway, so here you go. Listen up, hockey fans, because this one is for you. Really? Uh, and, and yeah, yes. And just a quick side note. Um, While I've never really been a sports fan, I think I've said that on here. Like, I don't watch football or baseball. I just really don't give a shit. In my youth, I was a pretty big hockey fan. Hockey was my thing for a while.
2: I think Um, you've worked hockey into Fish News in the past. Anyway.
4: I I think so. Yeah, I was a big San Jose Sharks fan. I also loved the Florida Marlins, if you see where I'm going here. Mm -hmm. However, I was an (laughs) L.A. Raiders fan because – the Dolphins, as we all know.
1: (laughs) So, anyway. (laughs) Nicely done.
4: Nicely done. Turns out, hockey goalie Pete Peters, and I love that name, Pete Peters, what a great name, he is a very passionate angler. Now, Pete Peters was an NHL goaltender in the early 1980s. Matter of fact, he won the Vizina Trophy for being the best goaltender in 82-83 when he played for the Boston Bruins. His real claim to fame, however... And this is, I love this so much. Was that he was in goal for the Philadelphia Flyers in the 81 82 season, which was the season when Wayne Gretzky was striving for a 50 goal season. And he scored goals 46 through 50
2: on Peters in the same game. Oh, (laughs) that's not what you want to be known for.
4: Peters is also quick to brag. That the first goal Mario Lemieux ever scored in the NHL was on him. So I like this guy. Like, this is the stuff, like, when you meet him, apparently he talks about, right? And I'm like, dude, that's
2: awesome. I appreciate the humility. I
4: I, I love it. I love it. So anyway, I explain all this because Peters likes to joke that he's the one that made Gretzky famous, right? By letting in (laughs) goals 46 through 50 in a single game. And now he's telling fishing guide Kevin Estrada that he's done the same for him. He's made him famous too. So not long ago, Peters and some buds chartered Estrada to take them out sturgeon fishing on the Fraser River. Peters and his crew ended up reeling in a white sturgeon bigger than any recorded in modern history. The fish taped out at 11 feet 6 inches, and Estrada estimated the weight at just shy of 900 pounds. Now- I don't wow. know if you've seen the photos of this fish, if they've if they've crossed your desk. I, I have. But I will admit that I've seen this. It's frightening, dude. It's so big, like, it doesn't even look real. I mean, the head on that fish, it's it's just nuts. Now, according yeah. to the story, right, it's definitely a British Columbia provincial record. And Estrada claims to be reaching out to Guinness about the catch. But it's not going to qualify for a world record because Peter's... Traded the rod off with with his buddies a few times. Got right? it. Okay. So Estrada has been fishing the Fraser for 15 years. They actually talks about him crying in the article while he talks about it because he's like, I've never seen a fish like this, and he absolutely credits this with some pretty strict conservation efforts. Right. Like sturgeon yeah. have been catch and release only on the Fraser since the early 2000s, um, and it's very likely that this fish is well over a hundred years old. Right. Um, Now, I assume that they're saying this is the biggest sturgeon recorded in modern times because I guess, uh, because I feel like I've even seen stuff like this, you probably have too, while some photographic evidence exists of fish this big or bigger, like a lot of what I've seen is grainy black and white photos probably taken 100 years ago themselves. You know what I mean? Like way back in the day. So in a sense, seeing a fish like this, at least this caliber of sturgeon, it's almost like you're seeing... A fish that people kind of think doesn't exist anymore. Like it's extinct. You know what I mean? Like to see mm-hmm. one this size in the flesh. Um, and in the story, Estrada says other anglers over the years have made claims about catching fish this size, but and this is it's fairly vague, but I, I think I have a handle on it. Like after careful examination of these photos, they were all discredited. So, you know, guys are like, ah, I got a 12-footer here, and you know, it's all about the angle or whatever. And then right. experts look at these and do the proportions and they're like, ah, that fish isn't as big. As this guy's claiming, but Estrada and Peter's fish absolutely is. I mean, it I'll I'll post it in our in our stories this week. Like it was nuts. So the one thing that sticks out to me though, uh, is it says it took 25 minutes to reel this fish in. Now, I am not in nearly as good of shape as Pete Peters, even though he's much, much older than me, right? <laughs> But I've caught these fish on the Columbia. Have you ever fished for these fish before? I had never White have. Surgeon? It's a
2: bucket list for me, but I've never okay. done it.
4: All the ones we caught in three days were like 150 to 300 pounds was probably the biggest. Mm-hmm. And they all kicked all of our asses for significantly longer than 25 minutes. So I would love more details on that. I like Maybe it was so old and you figure it had to have been caught more than once being that old. It was just like, get it over with. Like, all real right, me. Fine, like I've been here. Fine. I've done this before. Um, so that was like the only discrepancy. I'm like 25 minutes. I fought one of these things for an hour and a half and thought I was going to die. Still, incredible fish. Really speaks to what conservation measures like that can do. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, I've, it's it's like it's frightening. Its head is so it's just massive. It is massive. gargantuan, and it's yep. true.
2: And you know, we we pride ourselves on being nuanced enough to to talk about catch and release as not a monolith, like catch and release is important right. here and other places it's not. I think this is a great example of a fishery where it is important. These are absolutely old, long-lived fish that don't spawn every year. Catch and release really matters for fish species like this one.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: My first story also is a record story, ah. but for a very different kind of fish that, uh, for which catch and release also matters, but maybe not in the same way. Uh, also, I just want to say, I I don't know which of my stories to run into because you set me up for segues to both of them, but I'm just going to go with this one. Ah. I hope you have another Guinness (laughs) record reference for me to set me up on the next one. Oh no, not at
4: all. My next story (laughs) is (laughs) terrible.
2: So as I'm sure everybody who's listening has noticed, I know you have over the past couple of years, New York state fishing records have been falling like the clown in Billy Madison. Hard, fast, and in bizarre, <laughs> confusing, and strangely entertaining ways.
5: Hey, kids, it's me. I bet you thought that I
2: was
0: dead. But when I fell over, I just broke my leg and got a hemorrhage in my head.
2: <laughs> a couple weeks ago, Roy Isaac of Albany landed a four-pound, seven-ounce crappie, breaking a 20-year standing state record by more than half a pound. This is at least mildly Noteworthy, because new records usually eke past the previous mark by like an ounce or two. And in this case, the new record adds one-sixth of the body weight to the previous. In a fish as small as a crappie, yeah. that only amounts to a little more than a half pound. But for the size of the fish, it's a huge leap. Like, to put this in context of another game fish we've been talking about a lot lately, if this had been a tarpon, bested the current record by the same percentage of body mass, the difference would have been 47 pounds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Percentage wise, it's, it's a big jump. Mr. Isaac was fishing sleepy hollow Lake in upstate New York. From what I could gather in some basic internet research, sleepy hollow is best known as a bass fishery. But I think that says more about our collective obsession with bass than the actual quality of the fishery at least if we're talking trophies, seems like the lake is overrun with stunted largemouth. as in like 50 to 70 fish days are common, but they're sure. almost all 14 to 15 inches. Sure. Sure. More interesting to me. Anyway, sleepy hollow is a giant crappie factory. Besides the most recent record, one of the two fish that co-held the previous state record was also caught out of that lake. Joe, before you get all excited and pack the car, go on a road trip, uh, <laughs> It, it's it's a private lake, so you can't go there. Okay, all right. Is this like the Sleepy Hollow, like the Ichabod Crane deal? <laughs> the very same one. Yes. Okay. All and, right. And, and it's only... not that far
4: from me, actually. This is not like crazy far upstate. It's right no, it's over not. the Hudson. It's right over it's the, the Hudson. other yeah. side of the Hudson. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah.
2: Uh, and and only residents of the lake and their guests are permitted to fish there. Roy uh... Isaac is not a resident of the lake, but he has a buddy. Who lets Isaac and his two sons fish off his pier regularly? And mm. it seems like these guys have a pretty solid pattern on the panfish. For four weeks in a row, Isaac and his kids have been getting into bigger and bigger crappies. He told Field and Stream, "Quote: When I went out there four weeks ago, I caught a one-pound seven-ouncer and said, wow, Next time, a two-pound ten-ouncer, and then the following week, a three-pound ten-ounce fish.' Finally." he landed the state record. We have already debated the issue of private lakes and records, so I'm I'm not going to get into that again. And frankly, that's not the most interesting element of this story to me. Sleepy Hollow Lake has populations of both black and white crappie, Mm -hmm. as well as hybrids. Black Mm -hmm. and white crappie are very difficult to distinguish just by looking at them. And while naturally occurring hybrids, often have a black racing stripe running along their face and back. That's not always the case. Hybrids are usually sterile and as a result often grow much larger than true black or white crappies. Ah. New York State recognizes records for black and white crappie, but not hybrids. Isaac's Fish would have bested either one of the records, but it had to fit into one of those categories. Oh, no. A New York Department of Environmental Conservation Fisheries biologist examined the fish and determined it to be a white crappie because of the placement of the eye and the number of dorsal fins. But here's my question. You may remember, last November, we reported on Jordan Tontarski, who had to wait 10 months for genetic testing results
4: yes, before on the, the state of New York or yeah. would
2: certify his record pumpkin seed. Why? Did the state require genetic testing for one panfish record, but not this other one? Because somebody in Sleepy Hollow got money and greased the right <laughs> pocket and was like, yeah, hey, it's, it's a saw buck, says it's a white, all right? Maybe, but I, I'm going to say this. I'm going I'm to get a little more nuance. My guess is that because the state only recognizes black and white crappie for records, not hybrids, it was just easier to do a visual inspection and declare it one way or the other. Because if they had required the same genetic testing that they did for the pumpkin seed and the results came back that this was a hybrid, they would have had a problem. And like they would have been under pressure to create this whole new record category. Mm -hmm. Now, I I will fully admit I'm not a crappie expert, and and maybe it's true the fact that Isaac's fish only had six dorsal spines means that it's definitely a white crappie, but my gut tells me there's some politics at play here. We need to get Wally Marshall on the phone.
4: He'll sort this whole thing out, the crappie king. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not the crappie king. I did do a bunch of reading, though, and I, it smacks to me that, like, a fish of that size besting the record by that much, good chance I, it's a hybrid.
4: Especially if the hybrids grow that much bigger and yeah. quicker. Yeah. I'm going to be real honest, man. I had no idea there were hybrid crappies out there. Yeah. Like, I, I crappie fish actually more than you would think in the colder months before it freezes, just because it's easy with the kids. Like, you got a couple hours to kill. I got a couple ponds and a couple trees, you know? Um and see it's also funny I always thought white crappies were pretty dis- like easy to distinguish.
2: I thought so too until I started reading this like doing Aren't research they, like, for this Lighter story. with barring versus the black crappie that are darker and speckled it very much depends on the like the turbidity of the water they come out of and the time of year you catch them. White crappie during the spawn get super dark look just like a black, black crappie in in turbid water black crappie go completely whited out and if you look at the picture of this fish, yeah, it looks like it could go either way.
4: Yeah, I'm certain because our our listeners are good like that. We're gonna hear from some some crappie people. Yeah, and 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 I encourage that. Let us know because I mean, while I think it's fascinating, <sighs> look for better or worse. Like I know there's like crappie crazy people out there, and there are like crappie destinations, and that's a huge scene. But for me, I, I just like that's just the thing. Go down the street and catch a couple of here yeah. and there. So like I and just don't tasty. know that. Yeah, they're, yeah, I just don't know that much about crappies. Um, but that that yeah, I see what you mean. There was a lot of paperwork involved <laughs> in finding out that that was a hybrid.
2: <laughs> yep.
0: To the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list
4: Here's a transition for you. If if you happen to know somebody that lives on Sleepy Hollow Lake, but you don't have any fishing gear, you're just going to want to take a little drive to a library a little uh, further up in New York before you hit Sleepy Hollow. How is that? I love it, right? That so was, That was that was well done. Was well good. executed. So, you remember a while back I did that funny little piece about the flyberry, right? Mm-hmm. And how I thought it was a fine idea, but we both kind of agreed most of the time the flies you
2: find on it were kind of worthless. So and we've gotten some feedback, to be fair. We haven't called it out, but some folks have called and Be like, no, man, they're great my area. I've learned a ton from them. So in some cases, yeah, it is working.
4: And I've also had people write in and be like, yeah, I leave gobs of of, of salmon skein on the fly <laughs> Good for you, bro. Uh, anyway, so, so similar vibes here. I like this story a lot better. So in many ways, right, libraries. We're sort of being underutilized by by a lot of people, and this has been going on for a while. Because now we have so much technology, right, and so many answers to what we need to know right at our fingertips, and then nobody cares about checking out DVDs at the library anymore, right? So, yep. But the COVID Um,
2: DVDs, yeah, I know. I I know. I was going to say like libraries are not known for their books, dude. It's books, but anyway ahead. That, that really says a lot about where we are in our culture. Where you're like, remember the days when we used to go to the library for DVDs?
4: <laughs> yeah, I know. I digress. But, uh, I digress. Uh, that's fine. Anyway, the COVID pandemic has actually sort of changed that. And for like a lack of a better way to put it, um, made libraries in some places like sort of useful and necessary again for a lot of people. And per this story I found on SpectrumLocalNews.com, which covers upstate New York, uh, many libraries, including the Hahn Memorial Library in the city of Clayton, they were providing curbside book pickup, right? Creating all kinds of virtual events for both education and entertainment for kids to give kids something to do, providing Wi-Fi, net access for people that didn't have it or needed to do job searches and so on. So the library sort of adapted to the community's needs, right? So now, as the pandemic starts to wane, the question is, How do we keep people engaged and using the local library? So Hawn Memorial is trying to think outside the box and figured, hey, a library is where you go to borrow stuff. Who says it has to be books and Mannequin 2 on VHS, right? (laughs) Uh, So it it, it was one of my favorite movies. So it just so – I can't wait to hear from all the Mannequin 2 people. Mannequin 2 on the run for the win. So it just so happened, right, that Clayton local Joe Chrisman who is a big-time angler, had a garage full of gear he wasn't using. So he donated a whole bunch of tackle and combos to the library. So now you can go to this library and sign out fishing and safety gear just like you would a book. They've got life jackets, right? There's a big-ass landing net on the wall with a little tag on it, smattering of of, uh, rods and and boxes of lures. Uh, Now, the town of Clayton sits right on the St. Lawrence River. So it's definitely a fishy area. And I got to say I love this, right? Not even not even kidding like I might reach out to my local library because you've seen the amount of shit in my garage. And I could definitely Uh thin out the herd a little bit, right? So I commend this a thousand times over. But I wouldn't be me if I didn't have, like, some shithead comment to make. So of course, like looking at the Rod and Reel selection, there actually there's a couple of pretty nice newer Shakespeare combos, right? Um, Pretty good stuff, full of line and all. But then there are also what I would guess are some remnants of Joe's Garage, like the kind of stuff you'd see – piled into that old garbage can at the flea market table just like odd rods just like spewing out of a bucket or something yep um and there's just like you know super crusty perhaps missing a guide there's like 10 wraps of old bone dry mono on the reel and i laugh at this not because of, of the donation because good on him but because if i were the librarian working there and someone came in looking to rent out a, a rod and some tackle I feel like I'd have to sort of profile like a little bit and like try and gauge how likely this person is to steal the tackle or how careful I think they're going to be with it and be like, here you go, bud. Like you can have the Garcia 300 spinner with the broken anti-reverse loaded with the Dacron and paired with this beat-up conventional party boat rod, right? Yep. So the promoter of fishing in me loves this. I love it. But the serious fisherman in me that has spent plenty of time with true rookies, as have you, is like, that shit's going to get broken like regard like or return in just a hopeless birds nest situation oh, or, or yeah or just with zero of the spinners and frogs yeah. that they checked out along yeah. with the rod um i mean come on like even if you, even if you know what you're doing it's just what happens to fishing gear pretty much every piece of fishing gear i own i consider temporary cuz it will meet its end eventually of one course. day it will it will just not come home um, so regardless, the Hawn Memorial Library is making an effort to provide this gear for anyone that wants to try or maybe can't afford fishing gear, and that's I love it, super cool. The one hiccup that they didn't address though uh, was licenses, right? And I'm I'm sure they have it figured out, but uh, the library is literally across the street from the water. But like if you're popping in to return all those goosebumps and want to chuck a spoon for trout across the way, like you still got to have a license. So I don't know how they handle that. I assume they tell you that anyway. I'm gonna make it my goal to reduce the books in my local library by at least fifty percent <laughs> and just turn it into a tackle. The trout magnets and surf rods for everyone in the Joe surmelli wing. Great story.
2: Have we Small, have we uh, not <laughs> have what? we not proven that fishing gear and, and books can coexist? Like have we not like there's one thing I hope we've accomplished. It's that you don't have to remove the books for your fishing well, gear. Well isn't it a funny can image that has- coexist. <laughs>
4: I'm kidding, and you know that. But I know. Wouldn't I know. it be funny to think of some dude coming in and be like, I'd like to rent uh, one of your rods and appropriate lures, and do you have any books on fishing? <laughs> like Just like the whole package in one Saturday yes. afternoon?
2: Yes. You know what that I mean? That would be great. And so, you know what? I think I have a solution to the problem that you put up. Oh, here we go. Do it. Here's here's what – if I were running that library, which God knows I'm not, but if I were, were running that program, there would Could be – Wait, hang on. i got to stop you and say – I could see you running a library, but
4: being very disgruntled. Like, oh, you want to give people oh, the best literature, and they'd come in and just be like, You got 50 Shades of Grey? And you'd be like, No, no, no. you don't want that. I'd be the Stephen King soup book. Nazi. I would be
2: the soup Nazi of the library. No books for you. Uh, no. <laughs> but in, in, to figure out the, the fishing rod problem, it's, it's just, it's easy, man. You have an age cap. Right. And yeah. and that also solves your license problem. I don't know, it's different in different states, but usually you gotta get to a relatively ripe age before you need a license. It's if fourteen just, here. Yeah. I think it's twelve here. You just you just pair those up, man. If you're if you're too old to fish without a license, you're too old to rent the library's fishing gear. Very simple. There you go. There That's you how go. I would deal with that. Yep. Yep. I think that we're gonna we're gonna move from a story about ways to make children happy to a story about making children cry. (laughs) Giant Springs State Park is a little-known attraction here in Montana. It's located just outside of Great Falls, and and honestly, it's not the kind of thing you would travel interstate to see or even intrastate, but for locals in the area, it's a cool spot. Giant Springs is named for, well, the, the Giant Spring that bubbles up out of the ground right next to the Missouri River. The Lewis and Clark Expedition noted this feature when they passed through it in 1805, and for good reason. It's one of the largest freshwater springs in the country, pumping out 156 million gallons of water each day. It's almost as much as Poland Springs. (laughs) (laughs) Very close, very close. (laughs) Giant Springs was also the site of a world record controversy. Mm. The springs feed the Rowe River, which flows a whopping 201 feet before hitting the Missouri. In 1987, a fifth grade class in Great Falls launched a campaign to get the Guinness Book to recognize the row as the shortest river in the world, a title that was, at the time, held by the D River in Oregon, which stretches 440 feet. After two years, the campaign was successful. But the people of Lincoln City, Oregon were not happy about their local river losing its
3: uh it's a major award.
4: Of course they weren't, dude. That's like, that's, that's 10 t-shirts
2: they're not selling <laughs>
4: next year. You know I what I mean? It.
2: I get it.
3: <laughs> so
2: the folks at Oregon remeasured the D, deciding to end it at a new terminus, which they declared was the point of extreme high tide and coming up with a new length of 120 feet. The two Western towns engaged in a short but heated public debate, which prompted the folks at Goodness to just dissolve the title of world's shortest river entirely, because really, who gives a f- that was the last time that giant Springs state park appeared in the national news until a couple weeks ago. And while fifth graders campaigning to get their local river inducted into the book of world records is cute. This news story is quite the opposite. In addition to the Roe river giant Springs provides water for one of Montana's largest and oldest trout hatcheries which has been operating continuously since 1928. The hatchery ponds are one of the primary attractions at Giant Springs Park. Generations of kids have visited the display pond, where they can see and feed giant rainbow trout, which is why the next thing I'm about to tell you is so sad and infuriating. On August 22nd, some angry incel jumped the fence at the hatchery after sunset and stabbed many of the large fish in the display pond with a knife. Six of the fish had to be euthanized the next day, and numerous others survived but now have large open wounds. A local news story about this included an interview with Hannah Crane, a mom from Great Falls who regularly brings her six-year-old son to the park to play at the playground and see the fish. In the interview, she said, quote, One of the things he asks when he knows we're coming down this way is, are we going to see the fish? I was trying to explain to him there's not going to be as many. They're not going to be as big as we usually see them. They're not going to be as beautiful and swimming around as much. They're hurt now. Okay. I get that was emotional pandering on the part of the journalist who wrote the piece, but damn it, it worked. I was totally on the fence about this story until I read that quote and then thought about how shitty that conversation had to be. I mean, I guess kids have to learn that people can be unspeakably cruel somehow, but six years old seems, I don't know kind of young I just I'm so glad I wasn't in that situation and I sincerely hope the person who did this faces some kind of consequences unfortunately that person is still at large Montana Fish Wildlife and Parks is asking the public to keep an eye out for social media posts featuring suspiciously large trout and to come forward with any information they may have that will lead to the capture of the individual I'm not I'm not like mourning a you know six a half dozen brood stock rainbows that were already put out. to It's a weird
4: thing. And it's weird thing in that regard.
2: Yes. But the senselessness and downright mean spiritedness. That's a shithead thing to do. Regardless of their their raceway trout, it doesn't make any difference. No, it doesn't make any sense. It's a hatchery pond at a state park where kids go to get excited about giant fish who in God's name grabs a knife, hops a fence and is like, I'm going to get all stabby on these trout. I don't get it. And I hope they find the guy. And if they do, I think they should force him to stand by that pond for the next year and apologize to every kid who walks in to see those fish. That's what I think you ought to do.
4: I mean, I hate to say it. It's either like a raging just psychopath weirdo or like could this be some like 12 monkey style crusade to rid the, rid the world of hatchery fish? You know what I mean? Like somebody who just like hates hatchery. You know, they, they stocked him over his wild trout somewhere. It happens. It does, but like... If that's the case, this person doesn't know what
2: they're doing because these are the fish that are past their prime. They're not even the breeders anymore. Like they're the the retired breeders. If you want to do something, like go after the fish they are still making more fish. So
4: I I mentioned recently that I used to belong to a trout club, which is exactly what it sounds like, and it's a very northeast thing to do. I feel so bad. If you can get me this child's name, I'll call our old hatchery, and I will have some (laughs) giant (laughs) rainbow sent right to his front door. That's what I'm going to do. You you want a 13-pound rainbow that can't swim? (laughs) I'll get it for you by 3 o'clock, dude. You know what I mean? (laughs) Poor kid. Oh, oh, so sad. So sad. Isn't it? It is. So I think we need to laugh after that one. That was gut-wrenching. But here's how we're going to do that. So we're going to go to Phil, uh, see what tickled his fancy this week. And as soon as we're done with that, it's been a while. It's been a while since we've heard from our dear friend River Horse. But we Mm -hmm. got some sagely wisdom coming at you that's going to lighten the mood after all that giant breeder stock trout death.
5: Miles Nolte, you're the winner. Ah! As a side note, I went to Lincoln City, Oregon almost every summer growing up, and I can tell you that they take a lot of pride in their little D River. Uh, Guinness, if you're looking for another tiny
4: D to measure, you can come on over to my place. Oh, yeah, come in. Oh, what's this? For me? Oh, thanks. Okay, it appears I have been fired from Meat Eater. I guess that's that. Joe, Miles, you were a pleasure to work with. Um, If you don't mind, I've actually got a written statement that I prepared several weeks ago in case something like this ever happened. Let's see here. The tides of history are never kind to those...
1: This is River Horse, coming to you from the deep south with some sagely wisdom. I got a little story for you called Parking Lot Love, and let's keep in mind, as the old western legend Wyatt Earp said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. There's a UPS truck parked in the fire lane, not much wind. It's about a 60 foot shot, and I've got an eight weight. This all started out innocently enough, but since winter, it's been out of hand. It's even worse now. This fly shop is a beautifully shabby anomaly for Houston. It sits smack dab in the middle of a posh neighborhood strip mall. By posh, I mean six figures equals poverty. As for all of us, we're lucky to have six bucks in our wallets some days. The local crew is all gathered around the front sidewalk of the shop with various fly rods, bombing out cast after cast, trading jabs, jeers, hoots, and howls as we each take a turn. Some days there are beers in the middle of the day. Saturday night before closing, there might even be a cheap bottle of wine. Oh, class. Class. We take turns casting at cigarette butts, speed bumps, specks of dirt, rocks, parking signs, rose gardens, whatever. And yeah, sometimes the obligatory air it out fest for absolute distance. It was only a matter of time before the ante was upped. Anything moving is fair game. BMW, bins, rolls. These are an automatic go-to for whoever is on deck. A Volkswagen bug with the cheap plastic steering wheel flower is a yes. A jacked-up bubba truck is a hell yes. Any vehicle leaving the fur coat store around the corner is the definitive non-negotiable yes. A fur coat in Texas? Shameful. Admittedly, There has been a history of wanton recklessness and hell-raising getting me in over my head. There was a spot in a South African surf town that had a deadly slab of rock the size of a cement truck just barely submerged in the middle of the break. You had to decide mid-surf ride to either surf across it without coming undone or simply bail out and paddle back up the point break with your tail between your legs. Cars would often park along the dunes and hawk to cheer you on to goad you into an ass-busting bloodletting or a fist-pumpin' victory. The sticks here are different at the fly shop where we're all outcastin'. But not much? Not really. Sweet Jesus. There it is. What at first glance appears to be a 200-pound tarpon rolling on the outer sunlit fringes of the hazy concrete... Just past the jewelry store is the all-time moment of reckoning, the ultimate prize. It is a -a rent-a-cop, on a Segway, one hand on the handlebar, the other holding a towering waffle cone of frozen yogurt. There is a lengthy silence. Wallets are pulled out, and cash is flashed. We wonder aloud if that's pepper spray, a taser, Or a glock on his side belt. Another 20 feet of fly line gets stripped to the concrete, landing by battered steel red wing boots. Step aside, everyone. Hold my beer and watch this cast. I hope you enjoyed today's sagely wisdom. Here's to all things grassroots, handmade, homegrown, and our beautiful sense of fishing community get on out there.
4: I don't know this for a fact, but I'd suspect that based on on demeanor and, and just the way he carries himself, Riverhorse is the anti right? Mm-hmm. I, and I feel like mm-hmm. I've said similar things about him before. Like you could be clinging for your life to like a pool float in the middle of the Gulf <laughs> in ten foot seas. <laughs> You know, and like River Horse would just be like, "Hey, now, why don't you take your mind off your severe dehydration and cast this sweet, delicious pink deceiver against the hull of your overturned boat?" And it would just be like the greatest mahi bite of your life, and you just forget
2: about everything else. <laughs> I kind of think, I kind of think confidence is gooch kryptonite, mm-hmm. and River Horse just oozes confidence. So yeah, but
4: can just cut in for one quick second though. Then now that you have said that. Do you lack confidence? I feel like you're pretty confident when you go fishing. I'm pretty fishing. confident.
2: I I I I can't explain my Gucciness. It is inexplicable. <laughs> uh I I know I know for a fact that I'm less Gucci when I'm feeling super confident. For me, man, it's and it's not so much it's not so much about my home waters, because sure. I, I feel like I've fished them so much that it's beyond Gucci. It's whenever I go somewhere else. Yeah. That's that's when the the veil of Gooch descends upon me.
4: Right, right, right.
2: That's kind of how it goes. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I don't. I don't think that I lack confidence. I appreciate you saying that. And if we're on the topic of people with just unfathomable depths of confidence, in lieu of end of the line this week, we're going to close out with a tackle hack from none other than our bud and self-proclaimed walleye phenom, Captain Ross Robertson. This is also from the DOS Boat Ohio sessions, is it not?
4: It is, and we, we recorded plenty more with Ross that you'll hear later, but we're going we're gonna to slip this one in here. This is a really solid tip.
2: It is. It is. And it's, it's tips just like this that, dare I say, have the ability to turn a goocher into a moon.
1: I'm getting hacked. coming from inside the city. Like the planet!
2: Gracing
4: us with his knowledge today, his vast knowledge of the uh, walleye, uh, Latin name Ross. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, perfect. There you go, Captain Ross Robertson, uh, dear old buddy. And we're together in Ohio right now, sitting face to face, which is nice. Okay. Is it? Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's what you would point. have said. Fair point. <laughs> fair point. <laughs> fair point. Yeah, but you're um, gonna make us. You're gonna make uh, all the walleye freaks out there that come out of the woodwork, those walleye people, a little bit better at what they do today. Because you're the man on Lake Erie. You are a technical
5: fisherman, meticulous, precise. So make us better. Make us a little bit more like Ross Robertson today. Joe, you know, I like giving you tips. And here's one that I think is mm-hmm. super simple that applies to just about anybody that guys just don't think about. It's the elephant in the room. When you respool lines, a lot of guys I know are like, man, I keep losing fish. You know why, Joe? Most of us walleye like guys do an open water fishing. Well, I mean, probably Joe's reeling. But I mean, aside from that factor, <laughs> aside from that, that's cool monofilament's got twenty-some percent stretch in it right okay braid's got like three to five that's why I don't like using braid when I don't have to so on my open water stuff my boards things like that I always use mono I want that shock absorber in there the problem is 20, 25% is a little too much so what I do is, is I have somebody pull that line out sometimes they use a fence because you know maybe I don't have somebody around that cares about me today right <laughs> like joe he's like no i'm going to get ice cream not gonna help you stretch
4: your line today but
5: you can literally just seriously hook it to a chain link fence i've done it many days by myself and pull that out and you know a lot of times you see the curly cues in your line yeah you pull that right out pull that stretch out a little bit you're still gonna have plenty of stretch in there but i like to do that in about the first 50 feet okay and so that's the stuff that's in the water and i'm gonna have better feel and I'm, not, I'm going to get a little bit better hook sets because now those fish that barely get on it, maybe my hook's not quite as sharp as it was when it first got, you know, put in the water. Now, all of a sudden, I'm going to have way better hookups. So pre-stretch your monofilament line a little bit. You can even do this with spinning stuff. This isn't exclusive to trolling. Monos, you like to stretch, but 25%, if you think about it, is a lot. And if you don't believe me, here's what you want to do. Maybe we should do this for you. I want to see you cut your hands up. Hook on your spinning reels or whatever it is to a chain link fence. Walk back 50 feet, wrap it around your hand. Do the same thing with mono on the other hand. The braid's going to cut you in two. Sure. That mono, you're going to be like, rair, rair, rair. sound effects free. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're going to be able to walk back seriously, like seriously, like five, six, seven feet. Right. You're going to pull it and you're going to go right back and it's going to go right back like a bungee cord. Right.
4: But I get what you're saying. So the stretch is important in what you do, but fresh line is going to have 25%
5: more stretch than you even want it to have when it's fresh. Right. You know, so many things we do are like, hey, it's, it's like a baseball glove. It's perfect right before it's useless, right? Like right. you, you got to break it in. <laughs> and, and a lot of guys that put that real nice line on there and they get it out there and like you, between, let's say you're using a board, you've got all that extra stuff in there and you don't realize like those fish are, it's gummy mouth. Like they aren't getting the hook in. I know a lot of guys that's, this is a simple tip. I hate even giving it because it's so, it's like the elephant in the room, but that little simple fact gets me a lot more fish and I don't have to wait three or four trips losing fish before that line's broken. So that's it for
4: this week. Remember, it's much smarter to practice your fly cast on rent-a-cops than hula hoops. My dad is more Gucci than your dad. Take a picture of that clear blue water because you can't take it back to your office in Sheboygan, dum dum. And stretch that mono so you don't pull a hammy in an hours long battle with a walleye.
3: <laughs> Ooh.
2: And uh, and while you're standing by the fence stretching out that mono, go ahead. And send a bar nomination, sale bin item, awkward photo, news story, or whatever else you want to bent at TheMeatEater.com.
4: Also, keep using those Degenerate, Angler, and Bent podcast hashtags on the gram. And why don't you follow those hashtags while you're there? Yeah. Follow them. It'll bring you closer to your fellow degenerates.
2: Whatever you do, do not use or follow the hashtag Gooch. Gooch.